Welcome to Booksmart, a podcast where we read and share books that have a positive influence on our daily lives. Whether it's self-improvement, success, or something fun, we're here to help you read your way to a better you. I'm Em. And I'm Melissa. And this week, we're reading The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact by Chip Heath and Dan Heath. Before we get started, here's a brief summary of this week's book. In The Power of Moments, New York Times best-selling authors and brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, explore why certain brief experiences can jolt us and elevate us and change us, and how we can learn to create such extraordinary moments in our life and work. While human lives are endlessly variable, our most memorable, positive moments are dominated by four elements, elevation, insight, pride, and connection. If we embrace these elements, we can conjure more moments that matter. This book also delves into fascinating mysteries of experience, why we tend to remember the best or worst moments of an experience, as well as the last moment, and forget the rest, why we feel most comfortable when things are certain, but we feel most alive when they're not, and why our most cherished memories are clustered into a brief period during our youth. Many of the defining moments in our lives are the result of accident or luck, but why would we leave our most meaningful, memorable moments to chance when we can create them? The Power of Moments shows us how to be the author of richer experiences. So Melissa, why did we read this book? My mom gave me this book, Hey Mom, right when it came out, and I was immediately hooked. It had actually already been on my to-read list, which I guess shows how well she knows my reading taste, and it didn't disappoint. I think what I loved the most is the fact that it helps us elevate even small moments rather than only focusing on really huge moments, although they do cover big days in the book too. Mm, Yeah, that appealed to me as well. And you recommended this book to us, and the premise really appealed to me as well. I'm always interested in what I can do to make my life feel bigger, happier, and more beautiful. So I was curious about what this book would have to say about making everyday moments, those smaller ones, more meaningful, or noticing when experiences had the opportunity to influence my life for the better in a big way. Plus, I was on vacation in Barcelona while I was reading this book, and it really heightened my awareness of how I could actively create memorable moments for myself during that time, too. Can't wait to hear about those. (laughs) Well, let's open the book and get started. So the big idea in this book is that we all have defining moments in our lives. A chance encounter with a stranger who turns out to be the one, or a sudden realization that we're in the wrong job, or an unexpected loss that changes how we see our lives, or a totally lucky meeting with somebody who ends up changing the entire course of our lives. And so many of these moments really come down to chance. They're totally out of control. They happen to us. But Chip and Dan, the Heath brothers, say, what if we didn't have to wait for the fates to intervene to create a defining moment? Lots of big moments don't just happen. They are planned and they're handled with intention or they represent a moment when we had a choice to participate in that moment. So we get to decide if we want to participate in these defining moments and sort of bring them to life in our own lives. And the way that they define a defining moment Mm -hmm. is a short experience that is both memorable and meaningful. But the time is relative. So a month could be a short amount of time over the course of your life, while it could be a matter of seconds within a shorter overall experience. Right. And there are 
also key times in our lives when these defining moments tend to pop up more commonly, like in beginnings, like beginnings of new jobs or beginnings of relationships. Those are periods that are rife for defining moments to crop up. Mm -hmm. And so they say that in this book, they have two big goals. The first is that they want to examine defining moments and figure out what they have in common. So what makes a moment meaningful or memorable? Second, they want to show us how we can create defining moments by making use of those elements. So why would we want to create them? And their answer is, overall, these defining moments really enrich our lives. They help us connect with others. They help us make memories. They improve our relationships with other people. And they want to make sure that we can make moments that endure and last rather than just relying on luck. Yeah, I think that's so key is so often we do leave these moments up to chance. And they are huge parts of our lives and our memories. Like these really are what you said, they enrich our lives. They connect us with others. They're the things that we remember when we look back on the course of our lives. So I think their argument that we shouldn't leave these things up to chance, we shouldn't let life happen to us is a really powerful one. To give one example that they throw out in the intro, there's a hotel in LA called the Magic Castle. (laughs) And it's constantly one of the top rated hotels, but it's not because of their pool size or the fact that the resort itself is anything special, but they have these special moments like the Popsicle hotline. You can literally pick up a phone, order a popsicle, and someone will bring it to you. That's not something that most hotels are doing. That's a real special moment. Yeah, it seems like it's a tiny thing, but I can imagine being absolutely delighted by that, sitting poolside and thinking, "Mm, what would be fun? Well, a popsicle would be. And then just getting to pick up this phone and somebody bringing out popsicles to you. I know I would look back on that vacation and think, oh, what an absolute delight. Right. And on the other end, imagine regular hotels. Yeah. I don't remember really much about most of them. They all kind of have the same look and feel in my mind. So if only one hotel has this Popsicle hotline, you better believe it's going to stand out. (laughs) Something else noteworthy in the intro is I had never heard of this concept, but it was called the peak end rule. Mm. And so when people assess an experience, they tend to forget or maybe ignore how long it is. And instead, they seem to rate the experience based on two key moments, the best or the worst moment which is also known as the peak, and then the ending. And I think that really adds to the Heath brothers point because when we're looking at all these experiences, it's not that we're averaging out every single minute of each experience. To look at the Magic Castle, we're not imagining every single minute we spent at the hotel. Instead, we're remembering the peak, the moment that we picked up a phone and a popsicle got delivered. So As we continue to talk about this book, we're going to talk about what moments like that have in common and what makes them really stand out. So what does make a moment stand out? The authors say that defining moments are created from one or more of four different elements. Elevation, defining moments that rise above the everyday. Insight, which are moments that rewire our understanding of ourselves and our world. Pride, which are defining moments that capture us at our best. And connection. Moments that are social. Defining moments don't have to be huge. Many are small and personal or even painful, but transformational. But before we jump into each of those four elements, there are certain times in our lives where these moments tend to take place. Transitions, milestones, and pits. Right. Let's talk a tiny bit about each of those. So transitions are real landmarks in time in our lives. They can be fresh starts like 
New Year's Day or vacations or even just Mondays, or they can be times in our lives where a huge change has happened and we want to figure out how to move forward. Like uh, someone important to us has passed away and time is different as we look forward at our lives. Transitions can also be just thresholds, like significant birthdays. It is just an arbitrary number and an arbitrary day, but we do give those times meaning in our lives and we also put pressure on them as well. Yeah, I think we have, they say, like a natural hunger to mark time. Mm. And the thing I remember most from this section is that they said that transitions should create a defining moment between old you and new you. Mm. So like New Year's resolutions is a fresh start that a lot of us choose. Mm -hmm. But um, to your point, it is just an arbitrary day. You could choose any day to do that. An example I really appreciated in the book is we've all heard of marriage. I think that's one of the biggest transition points from your life as one person to a new joined life with somebody mm -hmm. else. But the example in the book is from a widow and her husband had passed away six years ago and she was ready to start dating again, but she was still wearing her wedding ring. Mm -hmm. And she had this real internal struggle. She said, yeah. I can't remove the ring, but I also can't date while I'm wearing yeah. it. So a really wise grief counselor had this idea to do a reverse marriage ceremony. So what they did was they almost mimicked the way that the vows mm -hmm. sounded, but instead of saying, do you promise to you know love forevermore, it was a slight twist of the language. So did you love him fully yeah. during his life? And did you do all of these things? And at the end, she was able to remove her ring. And I had never heard of anything like that, yeah. but it made so much sense that the same way you would mark the start of a relationship, mm -hmm you might need to make a transition moment out of the end of one. Mm -hmm. That example was so powerful to me too, the way she was able to both honor her past and look to her future in that ceremony and pave the way to a really positive transition in her life. Yeah, and could she have gone on without this? Maybe, yeah. but arguably it might have taken a lot longer. Right. And instead a moment like this can really give you the mental freedom to mm -hmm. say there was a moment before this and now there is a moment after this. Yeah. And to give not necessarily a clean slate in this moment, but almost like a new chapter. Yes. Yeah. So while transitions should be marked, the next type of moment we might celebrate is a milestone. So there are milestone birthdays like 18 and 21, which mark time mm -hmm. and also have pretty significant meaning in different cultures. Certainly here in America, 18 and 21 are both big days. But then outside of that, the example I liked from this chapter is that there are a lot of apps and gamified yeah. experiences nowadays that do a really good job of celebrating milestones. So unlike birthdays, which mark the passage of time in years, things like celebrating a million words read in yeah. the app called Pocket, or tracking your running with a Fitbit. Those are all ways to celebrate milestones, which can feel really inspiring, and I know motivates a lot of people to keep going. Yeah, yeah, I, I love those. It made me want to get a Fitbit. <laughs> yeah. Um, the authors also talk about how we can teach ourselves to think in terms of defining moments. It's a big part of the book, and they said that unheralded achievements, so milestones that you wouldn't normally think of commemorating, are a real opportunity to create defining moments for yourself. And as just a short personal story, one of my best friends had finished law school and she was just starting her very first job and like huge proud moment for her. But she was looking around at her other friends and just society in general and realizing that we have moments where we're commemorating others' milestones, like the birth of a baby or weddings or engagement parties, things like that. And she felt like there weren't any celebrations for 
commemorating the achievement she just made, which was finishing law school and starting her very first job. Mm -hmm. And so one night while I think having one or two glasses of wine, <laughs> she got really indignant about this and decided she was going to celebrate. And she went online and bought herself two or three really nice suits Dude, to her. start her job and told me about it later. And I just loved that. I thought it was a really great example of her creating her own defining moment at that point in her career. I love that. I think there are a couple other examples that I can throw in here. So one is that I celebrate my New York anniversary every year. And it's nothing big, but I'll just, you know, go out and get drinks yeah. usually at a new bar with friends. Yeah. And I think the reason why I think it's a fun example is because that's a meaningless day to everyone else. Mm -hmm. But I have just decided that it means something to me. Yeah. And so for these milestones, it doesn't have to be right. a huge birthday. It doesn't yeah. even have to be a major career achievement. Mm -hmm. It can just be something that you feel is meaningful to you. Yeah. Back on the Fitbit thing for one second, I feel like everyone I know who has a Fitbit is so into it. Like That's why I don't want to get one. <laughs> they'll get one and just make sure they have to hit their steps every yeah. day. And they really are trying for that milestone, that yeah. maybe the 10,000 steps yeah. moment. So you can see not only is it worth celebrating, it feels like yeah. a reward, but yeah. it's also very motivating. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with some of these milestone birthdays is that they do happen kind of in a cluster earlier yeah. in our lives. But it doesn't mean you can't create your own milestones mm -hmm. later out of really anything you want of mm -hmm. any size. The other, I guess, milestone I commemorated is I was in a very large company layoff mm. and I just decided – I didn't have that much money to blow. Like they did not give a good severance <laughs> package, but I kind of decided just to buy myself some new clothes. And so I have this watch that I love and I kind nice. of call it my severance watch because <laughs> I bought it during that time. And to be clear, this was a joyful event for yeah. me. I was very happy to no longer be at the company. So it just felt like a moment I wanted to mark in time Yeah, and did so quite literally by buying a watch which I hadn't put together until now. But I just, I saw it and made an impulsive buy. I was like, screw it. Yeah. New me, new world, new better job coming. Yeah. I deserve this. Yeah. Good for you. Right? Yeah. So these can be really fun, tiny things, mm -hmm. tiny moments that we can seize. These just do not have to be huge, elaborate milestone birthdays. Yeah. In fact, I'd argue that the smaller ones are as important, if not yeah. more important than the big milestones, yeah. because there's no limit on the number of milestones that you can reward yourself with. Mm -hmm. So if you can constantly find little things that keep you excited exactly. during the week, yeah. I think that's a really uplifting thought. Yeah. Why not make more meaning in our lives rather than waiting around for the designated other meaningful moments? That, yeah. yeah. Who says when I get to be happy? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess on the opposite end, right. uh, the last type of moment to talk about are the pits. Mm -hmm. So peaks are very positive moments. But pits are negative defining moments of hardship, pain, or anxiety. And kind of as the mental image implies, mm. pits need to be filled. One example of a smaller pit is that Disney World knows that people have to wait in lines for a very long time. So they have created displays and fun things that you can do while you wait in line to make it seem less dreary. But my favorite example from the chapter is from a team responsible for building MRR machines, yes, which absolutely. are found in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And they created one. And the first time a kid walked in and saw this machine, they totally freaked out. And I can understand why. They must look like really scary robots yeah. from the future. So what this team does is that they make MRI machines look friendly. So there's one that looks like a spaceship. And there's another one that looks like a pirate island. And although it's a story of very smart, like empathetic design. Mm -hmm. It's also a story about 
thinking of that as a moment. Yeah. Because anyone seeing an MRI machine is obviously not there for a very happy yeah. occasion. It's definitely a pit. Mm-hmm. So if instead you can fill that pit with at least some amount of joy, the image of a spaceship or going into this pirate island of your very own, you can at least transform it a little bit. So we're not saying it could take the full amount of pain away, but it's a nice distraction. and It does give an ounce of positive memory to the moment. Yeah, I think that's a perfect example because the authors talk about how, yeah, pits happen in life and they need to be filled in order to bring us back up. But sometimes they can be totally flipped into peaks, into positive moments. And in that example about the creators of those MRI machines for kids, at the end of that example in the book, the authors talked about how this one little girl finished her session in the machine and then went to her mom and was like, oh, can I do that again? <laughs> so like she had such a good time. She wanted to repeat it. And that to me sounds like a peak. Definitely. Yeah. And although who knows what happened after they were able to see her diagnosis, yes. but the MRI moment itself is yeah. no longer a pit. Right. Because God knows some of these kids probably had enough pits to deal with before or afterwards. Yeah. So the fact that one of them could be turned around yeah. is I think a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. As another small example of a pit that I think commonly gets filled in life that we don't always think about are breakups. So I think breakups tend to be a great time for deciding how you want to look at yourself again. And I know that haircuts are a stereotypical That's like the number one girl move. (laughs) Yes. And as somebody who has totally gotten a haircut drastically (laughs) after a breakup, I'm very pro redefining yourself in response to a breakup. And so other things like new lipstick, new clothes, like nights out with friends dancing. Like we all do things like that. And I think it's fun if we can recognize what we're doing, which is turning a pit into a peak, which is rebonding with our friends, rebonding with ourselves and celebrating the future. I love that example. All right. So those are the three moments we tend to commemorate. So transitions should be marked. Milestones should be commemorated and pits should be filled. And now it's time to talk about how defining moments could do that with those four elements that M covered earlier. And first up is elevation. Okay, so moments of elevation are moments that rise above our daily routine. They're true peaks. They can be social peaks like birthdays or weddings, huge celebrations like that. They can also just feel like moments where the stakes are higher in our lives, maybe competing in a sporting event or giving a presentation, performing in a play, times where we are doing something that is out of the ordinary and literally elevating ourselves to higher stakes. A really thought-provoking question at the beginning of the book is, why don't we treat academic achievements the way that we treat athletic accomplishments? Mm -hmm. So if you imagine moments of elevation, I think it's pretty easy to relate those to sporting events or even performances. Mm -hmm. Um, One example I love in the book is there's a school called Yes Prep, and they do this thing they called Signing Day, which is now a huge, well-beloved tradition. And what happens is that the high school seniors going off to college come up one by one and they show, they announce to not just their family and friends, but a whole community. The auditorium is filled of people who are in younger grades at the school as well. And they announce where they're going to college. And what's amazing about that is that there are younger students who remember looking up to high school seniors who announced that they were going to Columbia or wherever it might be. And then they had the thought like, that's going to be me one day. So- There are two moments created there. The one is for the high school senior, making the announcement, sharing that with friends and family, but also for the young kid who says, Mm. like, 
that's going to be me one day, yeah. which I loved. Yeah, that was a powerful example. And think about what probably happened to you. Like, I know yeah. I, I'm grateful for my family, and I think it was a big celebration when I decided where I was going to college. Mm. But I think many people don't have a moment about yeah. that. There is a moment where the letter arrives in the mail, and maybe you get the decision. Who yeah. even knows what they mail letters anymore? This is 2019. Maybe it's just like digital now. But <laughs> <laughs> an email is even sadder. Like, at yeah. least with the mail, you get this physical thing. Right. But I wish that more people had a moment like this, especially I believe the school previously didn't have very many kids going to college. Right. And so this was a huge turnaround for the community as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we want to create an elevated defining moment for ourselves or for others, we could do one or more of three different things. And the first one is to boost sensory appeal. So turning up the volume on reality. If you think about how weddings have special food, special drinks, beautiful flowers, you know, there's dancing, there's music, people are wearing special clothes. It's, it's like a love story with the volume turned way up. Literally way up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The next thing we could do is to raise the stakes, which is to add an element of productive pressure to an occurrence, like a competition, a performance, a deadline, even a public announcement. The authors say, do people feel compelled to take photos at this event or in this circumstance? If so, then you've probably raised the stakes well. And the third ingredient is to break the script. So defying the normal expectations of how an experience will unfold and adding an element of strategic surprise. I think the surprise is what's really key there. So there are so many fun examples in the book One that I think just highlights why surprise is important is because if you imagine that you run a coffee shop and you decide you're going to give out free biscotti on a Friday, Mm -hmm. it's only a surprise the first time. Right. So if you continue to do it, it's no longer breaking the script. Unfortunately, now it's an expectation. Mm -hmm. So that would be an example of not breaking the script. But there are other places, other chains where employees can give out a certain number of free spontaneous coffees mm-hmm. throughout the week. And that does keep it exciting because mm-hmm. for each individual person, it still feels unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then I love the example from the Ritz-Carlton yes. of a lost stuffed animal named Joshi. Yes. So this apparently went viral on the internet, but there was a dad and after his family returned home from vacation, realized that his son's beloved stuffed animal, Joshi, had been left at the Ritz. And so the dad, of course, like, we need this stuffed animal, right? <laughs> he calls up the Ritz-Carlton, and he's like, hey, would you mind maybe just taking a photo of Joshi so that I can show my son that he was okay? Yeah. Which, first of all, is a very so sweet, sweet thing for yeah. the dad to say. <laughs> but then the Ritz-Carlton took that up to, like, level 12, and they took – Joshi on a day out. So when Joshi <laughs> arrived safe and sound back to the dad and his son, he came with a photo album of Joshi in a golf cart, <laughs> Joshi at the spa with cucumbers on his face. Like Joshi had a real day of it. Yeah. And somebody must have taken a few hours out yes. of their day to do it. And this is so far out of the regular script we expect mm-hmm. from a hotel staff. Mm-hmm. Like maybe if we're lucky, we would expect to get the stuffed animal right. back. Probably just in a plain box. Yeah. Probably beat up. This is so above and beyond, and there's like a surprise and a delight there that they took Joshi on a day trip, and the son loved it. And the Ritz-Carlton does this because above and beyond service is what they believe Mm -hmm. in. These are people who had already paid. They Mm -hmm. have already checked out. Like They are not active paying customers. But you better believe that this earned a ton of goodwill for the Ritz, and 
what I love about the story is kind of just like kindness pays off. Yeah. I just have a personal belief that businesses who treat people like humans yep. will end up doing well in the end. Right. So I just loved Joshi's little adventure. Yeah. And thinking too about how a defining moment for one person can actually multiply. It could be a defining moment for lots of people. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that whoever that person was who worked at the Ritz that thought, yeah, I'm going to send Joshi back, but first Joshi's going to have a whole day of it. That mm-hmm. person must have had a blast on however long he took, he or she took to do that. It must have been really fun. It must have been a real jolt of joy. And I can imagine that that's probably something that person's looking back on too as, as a moment of elevation in his or her life. Definitely. And actually, I think that hits on another concept the book mentions, which is that most of us have to create these moments, yeah. but it's nobody's job to. Right. Like nobody decided this person had to take mm-hmm. Joshi out on the golf cart. They just had the idea and then they turned it into a project. Yeah. But most of us aren't often thinking that way. Yeah. So I do think a nice takeaway from this book is that you have the power to create moments. Mm-hmm. This one didn't cost them probably right. any money like other than printing photos. Right. But – it made the world of difference yeah. to a small boy. Yeah. That for me was the primary takeaway of the mm-hmm. entire book, that this is nobody's job. These are moments that are easy to not do or to delay. The authors say, beware the soul-sucking force of reasonableness. Mm-hmm. Like if that person had thought, oh, my to-do list is really long today. I'm just going to put Joshi in a box and send him off and then get to the rest of my day. Like that would be the reasonableness of his to-do list taking over. But these moments are truly worth the work and sometimes it does not require a whole lot of work at all. And so just pausing and being aware of what's happening in our lives and deciding if we want to create something big, even from something small, I think is really important. One last quote before we move into the next element. They say that there's a book called Surprise and the authors of that book say, we feel most comfortable when things are certain, but we feel most alive when they're not. Yeah. I think that's a nice way to wrap up this section on elevation. They really stand out because although it's nice to feel comfortable, it's memorable to Mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable and to do something unique. Yeah. And we learn about ourselves when we're a little bit uncomfortable too. We do, which segues nicely into the next section on insight. That's right. So moments of insight are defining moments that deliver realizations and transformations. These can be big or small, positive or negative, but the key here is that these are really meaningful moments that prompt a change in our thinking. The phrase they use is that it would rewire your understanding of yourself Mm -hmm. or the world. And the phrase they use in the book is tripping over the truth. Yeah. So this is an insight that packs an emotional punch It's the moment when you have a sudden realization, one that you didn't see coming, but one that you know like viscerally in your gut is right. Those moments are hard to find and they can't often be planned. So much as we want to talk about, oh, you should, you know, own your moment, do the thing. In this case, sometimes you really will just trip right over it. It'll hit you in the face when you least expect it. (laughs) Whether whether or not you want it. (laughs) Exactly. Whether or not you want it. Probably you don't, but you're better off for it. I think two examples are of how we sort of can't control this is that you might be doing a task at your job realizing, oh, I'm not cut out for this. Or suddenly looking at the person you're with thinking, yep, this is the person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Like both of those could hit us out of the blue. There was one woman named Leah and she owned a cake shop for 18 months. And when she started it, she believed that that was her dream. She really loved baking cakes for friends. But 
after those 18 months, she ended up shutting it down. Yeah. And she says that she doesn't look back on it and think that she was a failure. But there was one moment where she was so overworked from her day job, and then she was making this client's cake, and she realized that she just left the door of her bakery like wide open <laughs> and unattended. And that was her moment yeah. of insight. So she knows that she loves to bake cakes, but the running the business part of it, not so much. Mm -hmm. And maybe she could have thought about that in advance, but she probably needed to experience it herself and mm -hmm. to trip over that truth mm -hmm. in the moment of leaving her bakery open and unattended <laughs> to really let that unfortunate hard truth yeah. hit her in the face. But she feels grateful for it now. She right. doesn't look back on this as a failure. Like I said, she really just sees it as an insight. A big part of this chapter hits on the fact that you can't really appreciate the solution until you appreciate the problem. So I think one of the reasons why that phrase tripping over the truth is so accurate is because maybe you've had this experience, listeners, but you can't really tell somebody what to do with their life. Like you can't change somebody else. You can't get right. them to take an action. But you can probably lead a horse to water and help them <laughs> find the problem on their own. And this isn't about manipulation, but there are some examples in the book we won't get into about really turning around health situations in third world countries. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, to affect behavior change, they had to really show people that their behavior was harmful to their health. They couldn't just say, like, here's our new solution. It didn't right. click for them. Yeah, that was a really powerful example. It really was leading an entire group through discovering the truth on their own. The key being on their own is they didn't just deliver, here are the facts, here's what you now need to do. People had to change their own minds about it to get on board with the change. Exactly. There's another big part of this chapter. They say, self-insight rarely comes from staying in our heads. Research suggests that reflecting or ruminating on our thoughts and feelings is an ineffective way to achieve true understanding. Studying our own behavior is much more fruitful. So if you ask yourself, wouldn't I make a fabulous bakery owner? Or could I hack it in Italy? They're important questions, but maybe impossible to answer in your own head. It's better to take a risk, to try something, and distill the answer from experience rather than from just assuming. Yeah. I think that's a tough pill to swallow, Yeah, to be honest, because <laughs> I want to imagine that I could think my way through anything. Mm -hmm. But until you're experiencing it, it's probably kind of hard to know. Right. And this is a concept, too, that we talked about in the Designing Your Life episode mm -hmm. that so often we get stuck in the researching and planning and thinking about it part of the change that we don't actually start taking action. Uh, we feel like we're doing it, but we're not. And so part of learning who we are and what we want and what we're capable of is that we need to start doing it. And only in those actions can we start to gain true realizations about whether or not we're doing the right thing or want to do something differently. Exactly. I think maybe one way to back up this concept is if you imagine school and mm -hmm. learning about something yeah. compared to then later on getting a job and doing it, yeah. they're so different. And certainly there's a benefit to school and we're not suggesting that you shouldn't think about anything at all. Right. But after you do a little of thinking, just dive in, find the MVP as we talked about back in episode five, mm -hmm. the smallest possible way that you could test it out and see if you like it. So maybe instead of starting a bakery, you could just try selling a few cakes to friends. Right. Yeah, I think internships are a great example of that. It's yeah, taking exactly. the thinking from school into a practical experience that gives you knowledge about whether or not you want to pursue it. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're going to take a quick break before we move into the last two elements. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. 
Just go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash booksmart to get started today. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Of course, we recommend you use your free book to check out The Power of Moments, but you can choose any book you'd like. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com booksmart. Again, that's audibletrial.com booksmart for your free audiobook. The next element of a defining moment is a moment of pride. And these are times that capture us at our very best, showing courage or earning recognition and conquering big challenges in our lives. A big theme here is about recognizing others. So on the positive end of the spectrum, I think there are many successful adults who credit their start to a teacher who really believed in them. But in a particularly interesting example, (laughs) there was one teacher who told a young woman named Kara to pretend to sing because she didn't really blend in with the group, which first of all is a horrible thing to say to any child. But she later became more confident and wound up singing at Carnegie Hall. So what's fascinating to me about this is that one teacher Mm -hmm. in one second, one to five seconds, had the power to influence either in a positive or a negative direction, to create a peak or a pit. Mm -hmm. So what's fascinating to me about this section on pride is that you can create your own moment for sure, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a minute, Mm -hmm. but you can also make or break a moment for somebody else. Yeah. This one to me felt like the simplest one that we can implement for others, Mm -hmm. ideally positively, but we do need to be careful about what we're saying. But it it seems like it's such an easy thing to say to somebody, oh my gosh, you're so great at this, or you really have that as a skill. Wow. Exactly. It's such an easy, free thing to do, to give somebody a sincere compliment. Yeah. Although I did also love the example of a pharma company, and they give out employee recognition Mm -hmm. moments. But instead of just saying, you know, if you're a salesperson and you hit X dollars, you get Y thing. Mm -hmm. There was one boss who just took it upon himself to give really personalized gifts. So for an employee who was a really good listener, they got Bose headphones. And they just found little ways to connect that particular gift to uh, their accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. The key really is making it personal. Actually, the authors say make it personal, not programmatic. So not employee of the month because it doesn't really feel like you're being recognized for anything specific. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is truly acknowledging a skill you have or a way that you've grown, that feels really personal in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. So in addition to being able to recognize others, there's also a concept in the book about multiplying milestones. And the example they give is of a company, I believe now, called Couch to 5K. Certainly it's a program. Yeah. I don't know if it's a full company. But there was a man who wanted to run a 5K, and he created almost a gamified approach of week one, day one, I'm going to do this. And now there's a whole community and following around this approach. And it's even really taken on a life of its own. Like week five, day three is this known day where everything gets hard. (laughs) So people talk about like getting over that hump of like the dreaded W5 D3. I can't make acronyms. (laughs) But what I liked most about this concept, this multiplying milestones is really that you could take an ambiguous goal, like be healthy or learn to run Mm -hmm. and break it down into really defined milestones to almost turn it into a game. Yeah. And how nice to have 
more fun, prideful moments along this journey we have to learning this big thing. Like it makes total sense that it would be so much more motivating if a huge goal is broken down into tiny ones that we could have checkpoints along the way that we could pat ourselves on the back and acknowledge our progress, even look back on how far we've come. Mm -hmm, Exactly. That's why it's called multiplying milestones because before you were only aiming for one milestone at the end, but by creating little levels, now you have turned one milestone into many. So you've created many meaningful moments instead of just having one. Yeah. An example I really liked from the chapter was about a couple who kept a journal together about their accomplishments together. And so it was like, they renovated the kitchen. That was an accomplishment from one of their years. Or they went on a trip together. And I think that would be so fun to keep that journal with somebody. And then to look back on all of those memories would be amazing. Agreed. The last part of this chapter to talk about was called Be Courageous. So a big part of having a moment of accomplishment is often overcoming a fear. And they gave an example of this, you know, different levels program where somebody learned to touch a tarantula. (laughs) But maybe the part I remember the most is they asked, why doesn't the D.A.R.E. program work? Mm -hmm. So I had to go through this in school, but maybe not everyone has heard of it. This is a drug awareness program to help young adults understand the impact of drugs on your body and why they can be very harmful and addictive. But the problem with the program is that there's not really an opportunity to practice courage. Yeah. Not that we should give drugs to kids. Like that's not (laughs) where this was going. But the theory of something is often easy to say. And it reminded me too of like the bakery owner or imagining just studying up. It's easy to study up on what that might look like. Mm -hmm. But until you do something, you probably don't know how you'll react in the moment. But courage is contagious. Mm -hmm. So the, I think, uplifting end of this part of the chapter is that it only takes one person to be courageous Mm -hmm. to have a moment that affects everybody in the room. So just by having one person say no to something or to, you know, quote, do the right thing. Yeah. It can have a very positive influence or create a moment for other people who saw that happen. Yeah. This was such an interesting section to me. The idea that we could practice how we were going to be courageous. If X happens, then Y will do that. Honestly, wasn't really something I had thought about as far as courageous moments. I think about, you know, planning ahead for professional moments or, something weird happens in my house, I need to know how to react to it, but not necessarily courage. It feels like a a sort of amorphous thing to take on. But the example that was most powerful to me in this section, and maybe the entire book, was about a minister who led some of the first sit-ins to protest segregation in the 1960s in the U.S. This minister had gone to India to practice and learn nonviolent resistance, And he came back to the U.S. and held a workshop to train all of the volunteers and protesters so that they were actually ready for what the experience was going to be like. So before they went into these restaurants, they actually had sat at pretend counters and practiced how they would enter the room or relieve their fellow protesters who needed bathroom breaks and how they would actually respond and be like physically and emotionally ready for people around them, like yelling horrible things and like physically attacking them. So they were completely, 
I mean, not prepared for the reality of it because you never know what's going to happen, but Mm -hmm. they knew what their mental, physical, and emotional responses would be when they encountered that incredibly challenging time. It's much more of an immersive approach. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it like (laughs) to relate that to something simpler, it makes sense that when we are giving a huge presentation at work, for example, we practice it a bunch so that we know exactly how we're going to say certain points or handle certain questions or like practice is really important. It's it's its own version of exposure therapy. Yeah. Or a tiny takeaway too about being courageous is if you have a hard conversation you need to have with somebody, yeah. you can practice it first. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a sign of weakness. Right. Rather, it's a sign of you wanting to see how you might react in the moment. Yeah. Even getting a friend to help you out mm-hmm. could be helpful for you. Yeah. I think my last thought on this section is that I wouldn't have guessed that Be Courageous would be a section of a chapter on pride about accomplishment, Mm -hmm. but it does make perfect sense that a moment where you feel a sense of accomplishment is probably about, in some way, overcoming a fear or something maybe you didn't believe was possible. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we see those scary moments coming, I think we often just want to hide or deal with them when they arise, Mm -hmm. but we get to decide how and when we're going to deal with them. And I think that's probably a huge part of the pride we feel is we know we sort of stood up, stood strong, and faced it rather than cringing or running. Mm-hmm. So I think that brings us to the fourth and final element, which is connection. And this is the one that talks about the social element of many defining moments. So things like weddings, graduations, vacations, work triumphs, speeches, sporting events, a lot of these moments are really strengthened because they're shared with others. And what's great about those moments of connection is that we feel a real bond. We feel warmth. We feel unity. We feel validated. It's like we're a part of something. Yeah. Yeah. This is the human experience, right? As we all want to feel connected. And I think increasingly, lots of us feel a bit disconnected. So I really liked this section about how we can think in terms of creating moments of connection for big groups, whether it's an event or you know, a protest or something, and just one-on-one in our own relationships, how we can deepen those by creating moments of connection there too. Mm -hmm. And there are three strategies that the book mentions about creating shared meaning. So the first is creating a synchronized moment. And if you imagine a sporting event, it's pretty easy to see how that is a synchronized moment. You're all in it together. But even a smaller example is that if you imagine laughing with friends. I know. I loved that. It was so funny. So they sent researchers to listen in on conversations on college campuses, and they made note of what people said right before there was laughter. And usually it wasn't something funny. It's not like if you're listening to a comedy special and there are these one-liners that are so zingy you just have to laugh. But the point that they took away is that laughter is social. Like we're laughing because we're tied together and there's a moment and it's almost a form of validation and fitting in. Or in short, we are in sync. We're laughing. We get it. We're like in on the fun. Yeah. So laughter is more of a social experience than I had ever considered before. Yeah. It made me think about how sometimes when I'm watching a sitcom by myself – I know it's funny, but I'm not laughing out loud. But as soon as I'm sitting there watching it with a friend and we're both laughing out loud, it's not that the jokes are different. It's that we're in sync together. We're connecting together. And that makes the experience brighter and funnier and more joyful. Totally. Or even when I do laugh alone in a room, I'm like, wait, no. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like it it doesn't feel quite right the way that it does with a friend. Uh, So that was a really interesting takeaway that laughter is a shared experience. Synchronized moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Other ways you can create shared meaning with groups are by inviting shared struggle or connecting to meaning. And they give a ton of examples in the book. Right. So when you think about shared struggle, I honestly thought about there are important moments of struggle, like people who are enduring a difficult situation together or even certain religious rituals. But I thought about workout classes. Yes, I think that's a great example. (laughs) Yeah, like working out can be a struggle. And in fact, it probably if you're if it's not a struggle, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons why I love going to exercise classes is the camaraderie of all of us like sweating it out and doing freaking millions of burpees while our instructor <laughs> yells at us and just being in it together. It makes it feel like I'm doing more than just exercising. Mm-hmm. I think there's really something to that shared experience yeah. element. Yeah. And even in the book, they talk about how when you're responsive to somebody else, that's a way for connection or intimacy to develop really mm-hmm. quickly. So that could be as simple as you revealing something about yourself yeah. and then waiting to see if the other person shares something back. So that reciprocity is a real mm-hmm. sign of understanding and caring. It's you saying, like, I've heard you, mm-hmm. I accept this, and mm-hmm. I want to offer part of myself in return. Yeah, being just attuned to others and the others talk about turn taking. So like really asking your you know friend or partner a question, truly listening, and then sharing something about yourself. So just taking turns, going back and forth, deepening your connection. And they even say in the book, one way that you can try to put some of this into practice is just by taking 10 minutes to ask a sincere question of a friend. Yeah. And it's easy, I think, in a very busy life to just rely and lean back into the easy kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. This doesn't have to be a deep, serious thing, but it could just be asking something that you don't know about them or just touching on a new topic about maybe a hobby you knew that they used to have, but they don't anymore and just being curious and being open-minded. Yeah, exactly. That was for me the big takeaway from the book is that we need to – really choose these moments and invest our time and energy in creating more of them. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And whether or not they have just one or probably infrequently all four of those elements, it's still about just creating something that's a little bit above the norm, something that's memorable. Right. So to recap, the four were elevation, insight, pride, and connection. And we hope that you can find some more of those moments in your own life. Before we go, here's the bookmarked activity for you to try, which we will both also be working on for next week's episode. Consider how you might create a defining moment of elevation, insight, pride, or connection for yourself or others. For elevation, maybe you can break one of the usual scripts in your work or personal life. Could you help someone else trip over the truth for a moment of insight? How might you recognize someone else's talents or efforts to create a moment of pride or practice courage in your own life. Maybe you can create a moment of connection with a partner, friend, coworker, or client. Remember, it's no one's job to create these moments and it takes intention to create a defining moment. It's easy to delay or let these chances pass us by, but these are among the most memorable and meaningful moments we'll ever have. With a little extra time and effort, we can change our experience of our own lives or someone else's. Thanks for joining us this week. To view the complete show notes and learn more about The Power of Moments, visit booksmartpodcast.com slash 10. We've also included our top takeaways and the bookmarked activity for easy reference. Once you've read the book, we'd love to hear about it. Let us know if you created or experienced a defining moment or had any aha moments about past defining moments in your life by emailing us at hello at booksmartpodcast.com. 
You can also leave us a voicemail at 929-515-BOOK. That's 929-515-BOOK or 2665. Lastly, we do have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, and we hope you did, we hope you'll leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Reviews let Apple know that great listeners like you enjoy our show, and that helps us expand our reach in search results. Thanks again for joining us on this week's episode of Booksmart. Until next time, happy reading.